hi, Saints Hill. We sure do miss you. Uh, how often have you heard that lately? Um, Tyler's here with me, actually making me smile right now. And uh, he's been so faithful at doing all the video for us and all the editing and all the behind the scenes stuff. And, and wherever you are, let's, uh, let's give it up for Tyler right now. And uh, thank you, Tyler, so very much. We appreciate you. Um, let me pray before we get started. Jesus, thank you for your presence with us. And Holy Spirit, we just ask uh, that you would keep our hearts and our minds attentive to the truth that you want to lead us into in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our series on the book of Acts, and we're asking the question, what did the early church believe, and what did they do, uh, and what, we can, what can we learn from that uh, to become a house of Acts? Um, grab your Bible. <clears throat> uh, we're going to turn to chapter 9, and when you get there, flip over to uh, Galatians chapter 1 as well. We're going to flip back and forth between the two. And then when you get there, nod or raise your hand or something so I know you're ready. That was a joke. Um, I'll give you a second. <clears throat> and as you're finding your place, uh, please excuse me ahead of time. If I look down at my notes more often than you think I should, I think God has some stuff that's really important for us today, and I just don't want to miss any of it. So thank you for your forgiveness there to start. Well, while reading through this chapter 9 of Acts, um, God kept bringing back to me four thoughts over and over again. Uh, four simple things that are a part of what I think God wants to use to grow His church. And here they are. You may want to write them down. Number one, God always uses the things I surrender for good. Number two, your testimony is powerful. And number three, we grow deeper when we spend dedicated time alone in God's presence. And number four, the kingdom is family. Well, just a quick reminder on where we left off last week, where uh, Bria did such a great job at teaching us through the beginning of the chapter. Saul was on his way to Damascus <clears throat> to get rid of the Christians. And on the way, he had a transforming encounter with Jesus. And he found himself blind. And then he experienced a miracle three days later when Ananias laid his hand on his shoulder and he regained his sight. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he got baptized. <laughs> what an action-packed three days. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 20, and we're going to read the entire text, uh, and then we'll work through it a little bit by little. So if you're there, you should be. Uh, let's just work through it. <clears throat> verse 20. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who persecuted the Jesus followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest them 
and take them into chains to the leading priests. And Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, the Jewish leaders tried to kill him. But Saul was told about the plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Okay, there's something missing here. So let's flip over to Galatians real quick, chapter 1. Um, and that is in verse, uh, starting in verse 16. And it says, and Paul, and Paul says this in his letter to the Galatians. He was Saul, now he's become Paul. He said, when all of this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with anything else, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those apostles who were apostles before I was. No, I went away into Arabia and then later returned to the city of Damascus. It wasn't until three years later that I finally went to Jerusalem for a visit with Peter and stayed with him there for 15 days. So back to uh, Acts 9, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 26. When Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They thought he was only pretending to be a believer. Then Barnabas uh, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. Barnabas also told them what the Lord had said to Saul and how he boldly preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And then the apostles accepted Saul. And after that, he was constantly with them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they plotted to murder him. And when the believers heard about it, however, they took him to Caesarea and sent him on to his hometown of Tarsus. And the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it grew in strength and numbers, and the believers were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's start out. At verse 20, it says, He immediately began preaching in the synagogue, saying, Indeed, he is the Son of God. And I find it interesting that Luke says that immediately. I'm thinking, isn't he just a brand new Christian? And what had happened <laughs> that he could start preaching immediately? And what was his preaching about every day in the synagogues? Well, it says that he, it says he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he's indeed the Son of God. And can you, if you think about it, can you imagine how powerful those words would have been at that time from a man who just days before they knew was coming to just persecute them and haul them off in chains back to Jerusalem? And it doesn't say... <laughs> But I'm guessing that he probably included his testimony about his counter with Jesus from just days before. Those listening to him knew who he was and what he had done. And their jaws dropped in amazement. In fact, it says that. It says in verse 21, And all who heard him were amazed. 
Isn't this the man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest, which would have been back in Jerusalem, so they're leaving their home. And in verse 22, it says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was the Messiah. So my question is, how in the world was he so convincing? <laughs> and where did he learn to preach so effectively? Well, it all started, it all started with an encounter with Jesus. Saul was gifted, he was intelligent, he was well-educated in the Old Testament scriptures and the writings of the prophets, and he obeyed the law to a T, but was using it for destruction. In a moment, Jesus appeared to him and he was transformed. And now he could clearly see that Jesus was the Messiah that the scriptures had promised. Everything clicked, all of a sudden he got it. And that was his message that indeed Jesus is the son of God. Listen to what he said himself about the gospel message he had in his heart. Back in Galatians 1, and you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it for you. It says this, he said, Dear brothers and sisters, I solemnly assure you that the good news of salvation which I preach is not based on mere human reasoning or logic, for my message came by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that good? No one else taught me. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted Christians, and I did my best to get rid of them. I was one of the most religious Jews of my own age, and I tried as hard as possible to follow the old traditions of my religion. But here it is, verse 15. But then something happened. <laughs> For it pleased God in his kindness to choose me, to call me, even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. Then he revealed his son to me so that I could proclaim the good news about Jesus. That was his message. When Saul surrendered everything, God took all the things he created him to be in the first place and used them for good instead of destruction. He took all those things that he'd learned in his past, his most religious polished accomplishments, his resumes, credentials, and he redeemed them in the course of a few days. And it says that his preaching became more and more powerful. When we exchange, you and I exchange, the relation, all those things for a relationship with Jesus, everything changes. So thought number one, when we encounter the love of Jesus and surrender all that we are, God always uses it for good. He redeems it. That's the message. Surrender always brings out the best in us. And he can make good out of your rebellion from a years past, from months ago, from a week ago, or even from this morning. He can redeem your mistakes. And he can take the gifts and the virtues that you've been using for your own purpose and own glory and turn them into good. When we surrender all those things, 
for an exchange with that relationship with Jesus, he always redeems it, always makes it good for his glory. A verse you have heard many times, uh, Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good, <laughs> but, it doesn't, but it doesn't stop there, does it? It says, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And Saul was called according to God's purpose, and so are you, and so am I. But if we get careless and we don't continue to surrender every day, pride can start to creep in and we can begin to use those things that he's gifted us at for our own purpose, for our own self-esteem. And they can quickly become our, our identity and we lose track of the purpose that God has called us to. Well, it takes a heart of humility to surrender. And Jesus said uh, in Matthew 23, it says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. That gets here, doesn't it? <laughs> when we surrender in humility, God washes everything clean. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of time on our hands lately, and Kathy and I have found ourselves doing some deep cleaning. And you know that deep cleaning, when you clean up clutter, you go through stuff and you get rid of some things, and you clean under all those hard-to-get places, and you do the extra good vacuuming. Uh, and it feels really good. But more, more often than not, like we're having guests over, we'll do the vacuuming and the dusting and we'll do all those things. Um, but oftentimes we're cleaning clutter and we're going, oh, well, I'll get this off my desk uh, and where do I put it? And we slide open a drawer and stick it in there. And then you forget where you put it, you know, a couple hours later. And then you're doing the sweeping uh, and you get all that stuff onto the dustpan but there's always that little bit more that you can't get in the dustpan. And don't tell me you haven't done this, but you pick up the carpet and blow the rest of it underneath there. And the point is, is that it looks clean, but it really isn't completely clean. And what deep clean, what, and here's the question, what deep cleaning do you need to let God do in your life? What are those hard to reach areas that you need to meet God, God, meet with God with and surrender to him? Jesus wants to deep clean your gifts, your talents, your virtues, your skills, all that you're good at, all that you've created to be, all he's called you to be and use them for the glory of the kingdom. He wants to get into all those hard to reach places in your life and turn them to gold question for you. What are you really good at that you haven't completely surrendered to him? Well, thought number two, your testimony is powerful. Saul had a testimony for sure. Saul knew his story and it is scattered throughout the New Testament in his letters but he always used his story to point us to the truth. Know your story. It could be testimony about your original encounter with Jesus. It could be 
your story about the victories that he's given you along the way. And it doesn't have to be your whole story all at once. It could be just a snippet, just the right thing that someone needs to hear right at the right time. Be ready to tell your story when the Holy Spirit says, go. What are all the details of your first encounter with Jesus? Do you remember those? And what are the significant details of those times when God took you deeper? Can you think back to those times? And what scripture is relevant to those experiences that you've had? Please don't underestimate uh, the power of your story. Your story is important to God. And people are always listening and always watching. And you have way more influence on the people around you than you think. I can remember times when people would come up to me and say, hey, Jim, I don't know if you remember me or not, but several years back, you shared a bit of your story and you shared some scripture with me. And I just want you to know that, that changed the course of my life. And, and I just wanted to thank you for it. And I'm going, yeah, you're right. I don't not tell them that, but I'm going, I don't remember that. But the point is sharing your stories, your encounters with Jesus, your testimony has the power to change the course of history for someone question for you. Could you tell someone your story about your encounter with Jesus as given the opportunity? And opportunity is all around us. Your testimony is powerful. Let's look back down at the scripture, verse 23. And it says, well, after a while, the, Judies, the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. But Saul was told about what was going on and and they were watching for him day and night at the city gates uh, so he wouldn't escape. They wanted to murder him. And so during the night, uh, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Who were those guys? I want to know those guys. In less than a week, God had transformed Saul from a vicious Christian-hating murderer into a passionate preacher. And now the Jewish leaders are trying to get rid of him. They're trying to kill him because of his powerful message, for sure. But also because God had some refining to do. Saul wasn't an instantly mature Christian. And this is what Saul said about, happened, what, said about what happened next. Let's look back at Galatians 1, and I'll read it for you. It says this, when all of this happened to me, I didn't rush out to consult with anything else, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. No, I went to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Verse 18, it was not until three years later that I finally went to Jerusalem for a visit with Peter and stayed with him there for 15 days. He's really explicit about what he didn't do. He didn't go consult with anybody. He says, no, I went away into Arabia. And Arabia was a vast expanse of desolate wilderness. And we don't know exactly where he went. Um, it might have been just outside of Damascus. In fact, if you Google Earth Damascus today, 
and you can see that as soon as you walk out of the city, it doesn't take long for you to be in a vast expanse of wilderness. And it's about 900,000 square miles of sand to be exact. And Paul doesn't give us any details about the reason he went to Arabia. And the thing is that when there's, when the Bible's silent on a matter, scholars like to fill the hole with theories but the truth is, we don't know for sure. I want to know what happened in Arabia. And this is what I think, and I'm not completely alone with this, um, but I believe that God wanted to take Saul deeper. I think while Paul or Saul was alone in, in the desert, God was preparing him to come to terms what it meant to be a messenger of grace. He was preparing him to come to terms with all the implications of his newfound faith. And it may have been during that time of solitude with, with God that God taught him some of the things he would later write in his letters. Maybe like this one. It's in Philippians. And it says, Yes, in fact, I harshly persecuted the Christians in the church. And I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. And once I thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I've discarded everything else, counting it as all this garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with him. Isn't that beautiful? I think God wanted to show Saul the cost of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was downloading truth into Saul while he was in the desert. And he was growing into maturity, and maturity is a process, isn't it? God wasn't finished with Saul, and he's not finished with us. And point number three, or thought number three, we grow deeper when we take dedicated time to sit alone in the presence of God. I'm going to say that again. We grow deeper when we take dedicated time to sit alone in the presence of God. A life marked by depth can only be cultivated in those periods of time spent in quietness and solitude in His presence. And I'm not talking about living in the des desolate desert for three years. Well, maybe it would take that for me sometimes, I think that. I'm not even talking about you give up all your responsibilities. But I am suggesting that there should be those periods of times when we deliberately slow down, meet alone with God. And that should be above and beyond those times that you spend in the scriptures each day. And if you're not doing that, please do that. But this is a dedicated time, time you're going to set aside for him. Finding a quiet place, free from all the normal distractions, tossing your cell phone in the ocean uh, with your Bible in hand, reading, pausing, asking questions, pausing, listening, asking more questions, spending time with God. And you might be saying, Jim, I don't have that kind of time. Well, yes, you do, especially now. Uh, 
there's always enough time to do the will of God. A friend of mine told me this once. Let me say it, start again. There's always enough time to do the will of God. All we have to do is understand what things are our own will and cut those things out. Then suddenly we find there's all kinds of free time. Um, or you, you might be saying, I just don't know if I can hear from God. But yes, you can. We all can hear from God. If you're a believer, you can hear from God because he called you and you responded. And Jesus said that my, my sheep recognize my voice. And if you're not a believer, you can hear from God too. Scriptures say that you instinctively know what's right from wrong and that your real desire is to do what is right. And that's God calling you. He's trying to get a hold of, get a hold of you and invite you into the family. And th this is good. I may have to read this one twice too, but your heart, and this isn't mine, but your heart to hear him is more important than your ability to hear him. God takes the responsibility to be heard when we have the desire to hear. One more time. Your heart to hear him is more important than your ability to hear him. When God takes the, responsi God takes the responsibility to be heard, when we have the desire to hear. Well, there's tons of good resources on how to do silence and solitude. Let me just give you a short list. Um, and and here, here that is. First, find a quiet place. The beach, the mountains, by a river, and we can still do some of those things. It may be locked in a closet for a couple days nowadays, but start with thanksgiving. Uh, if you're alone, uh, speak out loud, just thanks, thanks to him. Thank him for all the things that he's blessed you with. And that list can get long. And then go into a time of praise. If you put your headphones on, listen to some music if that helps. And just give him praise. And praise will always come out of a thankful heart, which you've already done. And then read the scriptures, open the scriptures. And it doesn't have to be 20 chapters. It could be just a verse where you pause and listen and hear what God is having to say. And then do that pause and listen. And then ask him questions. God delights in giving us answers. And then pause and listen and write down the things that you think he may be you know, teaching you or talking to you about. And do it all, come with a spirit of humility. Uh, in James 1, it says this, in humility, receive the word implanted. And humble hearts hear well, don't they? Well, the early church was strengthened because of Saul's time of solitude with God. And the church today is strengthened when we each individually spend time alone with God in silence and solitude. When was the last time that you carved out time to be absolutely alone with God. He wants to take you deeper. Well, let's uh, pick the story up again in verse 26. In 26, it says this, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They thought he was just pretending, they, were, they thought he was faking it. And then Barnabas was brought to him, or brought him to the apostles, and told them that how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus, and Barnabas also told them 
what the Lord had said to Saul and how he boldly preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And then the apostles accepted Saul. And after that, he was constantly with them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So thought number four, the kingdom of God is family. <laughs> we need each other. And that's how God intended it to be. You know, lately we've been forced to isolate ourselves. And one of the most common themes I hear and I find myself saying is that, man, we sure do miss you. We said it right out of the gate when we started today. And that desire is put there by God. That's how he intended it to be. We need each other. And for the first time in his life, Saul found himself learning to depend on the family of believers and not himself. He was dependent on his buddies who led him into Damascus because he was blind. He was dependent on Judas, whose home he stayed in until Ananias arrived. And he was dependent on Ananias, who God used to show him real grace for the very first time. And now we see that he was dependent well, he, first, he was dependent on the believers uh, in Damascus to lower him down over the city wall in Damascus. Those guys, I want to know who, are, who they are. And now he's dependent on Barnabas, who vouches for his integrity and his character to the apostles. Well, I, I've, like you probably have as well, I've had many Barnabases in my life. <laughs> and... <clears throat> People that have come alongside of me just at the right time when I've needed them the most. And one of those persons was my friend Jerry. Jerry was my high school baseball coach, and Jerry loved Jesus. <laughs> and he took the head coaching job at the high school I was going to be entering into for the first time. And I was 14 years old, and that was 52 years ago. So your accountants, you accountants have already done the math about how old I am. But at 14, I was still playing youth baseball. And Jerry had heard about me and he came and introduced himself to me and he started coming to my games that summer. But that summer, my father died. And he was feeling fine. He went into the hospital or to the doctor. Uh, for a simple issue, and some blood work discovered that he had a leuke a, uh, an acute form of leukemia, and he was admitted into the hospital, and two weeks later, he died. <laughs> the man who held our family together with his words and actions and the love of Jesus was gone. And I was stunned. <laughs> And though I wouldn't admit it at that time, I was feeling really, really lost. And so I started to put my identity in my abilities as, my, as an athlete. And I thought, baseball will be my ticket out of the pain. And Jerry was incredible at honing my baseball skills, but his love for me went far, far deeper than what I could accomplish on the baseball field. He knew that what I needed more than anything was to have my real identity be in Christ. 
and he wasn't about to leave my side until I figured that out to my, for myself. I can remember several times before church, Jerry would give me a call and he would say, grab a couple buckets of baseballs and a bunch of bats and meet me over at the field after church. And oh yeah, bring your Bible bats, baseballs, and Bible, okay? And so we would do that, and Jerry, having been a minor league pitcher, he would throw me batting practice until my hands were literally bloody, times before batting gloves. And then when we were done, we'd go over into the dugout, and Jerry would talk to me about Jesus, and he would read the scriptures to me. And he surely nurtured my gifts, but always in a way that pointed me to Jesus. And he stood by me like a father, and I fell in love with Jesus. But Jesus, or, uh, Jerry <laughs> turned 81 years old two weeks ago. I talked to him on the phone, and uh, we golf together frequently, and we do some coaching together. But all through that, Jerry is still telling people about the love of Jesus. So here's the question for you. Have you ever had a Barnabas come alongside of you when you needed them the most? Not just a friend that would laugh at your jokes, but someone that come with encouragement and compassion and always points you to the truth and the word and the freedom that we have in Christ. If you have, please call them and thank them. And have you ever been a Barnabas to someone else? You know, Barnabas means son of encouragement. And, you know, there are men and women like Ananias and Barnabas and those guys all around us at St. Soul Church. And that's how the family acts because kingdom is family. Well, let's look at 29. We're almost done. Verse 29, and he debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they plotted to murder him again. <laughs> and when the believers heard about it, they took him to Caesarea and sent him on his, on his way to his hometown of Tarsus. Those guys again, different guys. The church then had peace throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it grew in strength and numbers, and the believers were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It says they grew in strength and numbers, and I'm thinking, with, even without Saul's help? <laughs> yes, without Saul. In fact, the church not only went on, it flourished. <laughs> And here's the question I have. Can the church continue to flourish in the season we're in, not meeting physically anymore? Absolutely is the answer. And in fact, Jesus told Peter that he'd use him to build the church and that all the powers of hell wouldn't prevail against it. That's good news. And God knows exactly what's going on. And we don't need to wait till we gather again to see God do incredible moves in the church. He just desires that we participate. He wants us to remain faithful, to trust him, 
to keep walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and making the most of every opportunity. And we are done. Um, before I pray for you guys, uh, there's a couple uh, words that we got from our prayer team uh, that I want to read to you. And if they resonate or with all with you, please get a hold of us. Um, excuse me while I look for those. Here we go. And here they are. Um, I feel like someone with arthritis is supposed to get prayer. And the Lord want, wants to heal it. Simple healing of arthritis. So if that's you or you're with somebody or you know of somebody, pray for them. We want a lot of people to be healed of arthritis. You could pray for me. I have it. And so I'm going to receive that in the name of Jesus. So pray with each other right now. Uh, the second one is this, that God wants to calm the storm for someone named Jeremy. So Jeremy, if that's you, this is specifically for you. But I'm guessing here and just now that there is going to be a lot of people that are feeling like they're in a storm and they need some calmness. So let me just pray over that over you right now. So God, we just pray over Jeremy right now. Uh, would you bring a calm to him that is way above and beyond what he can muster on his own, but that would come straight from you, from the power of the Spirit. So we just pray calmness over him. Fear be gone, lies be gone, and we just pray for a peace that passes all understanding in his heart and his mind through Christ Jesus. And we pray that for anybody else that might be feeling that as well. And so we just thank you for what we're going to do. Well, thank you. If those resonate with you, uh, let us know. We want to hear stories of victory because God is still doing a good work. Uh, but let me finish one more time just praying over us um, and then we'll be done. God, we thank you so much um, for your word. We thank you for your presence in us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And we thank you for the truth that you have allowed to go into our hearts, to penetrate, penetrate deeply. And we just pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would bring our thoughts back to those things, that we'd ask good questions, uh, and that we would always be trusting you and for everything. And so we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Bless the church. Thank you. Amen. See you next time.